Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother, Wesley. Today, we're talking a movie from 2020 Netflix original film, Pieces of a Woman. This one is a tough one, dude. For shiz. I am reading this very heartbreaking book. The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. It starts by saying, By all outward appearances, our life is a spark of light between one eternal darkness and another. And I was like, damn, that is heavy. And poor Yvette's spark was all too short. And it like crushed me. That very hard to watch. The birthing scene, the birth, and the presumed death. um, So hard that Brian left the room. He couldn't take it. So stressful and then and ultimately so tragic. Does that feel disingenuous? Obviously not Brian specifically, but for a man to react so viscerally to that scene. Kelly also left the room. I mean, she went to the bathroom, but she was in there for a while doing who knows what. And then she came back and we resumed. But you paused it while she was away or she skipped the whole. No, it's just like I could tell she was visibly squirming and uncomfortable. All I know is that was seemed like a particular time where her discomfort culminated and she got up. You know, usually she'll be like, pause it. I'm going to go to the bathroom or something. But she just kind of got up and walked away. And this was after she was squirming and saying that it was uncomfortable. So I don't know. Maybe I just projected that. But I paused it and took a second to reflect. And my heart's all pounding because although I don't, you know, obviously as a in the in the shoes of the father character, I could be like, whoa, this is intense. But I, I can't imagine what it was like for a, a woman be a mother, because for me, it was like saving Private Ryan. That was like on the beach and super intense and heart pounding. And, and I guess it comes down to whether or not you knew. If you read even the briefest synopsis, you know what it's about. I didn't know. No, the autoplay trailer on Netflix had a clip of Martha being interrogated on the witness stand. And I could only kind of draw the conclusion that something goes wrong or there's some crime in question. But the trailer wasn't the only thing that tipped me off. Whenever relationships are good, that means something bad is going to happen because they got to have a place to go. Right. And so and she's very connected to Sean and Sean's very connected to her. Sean's very attentive. Sean's very aware. He's involved. And it only serves to illustrate their eventual kind of rupture. This is a film by writer Kato Weber and Cornell Munduxo. And it says in the title card, a film by the two of them. She is the writer. He is the director and their partners. And they experienced the loss of a newborn child. 
obviously they went through all the stages they were writing and directing this movie he was like oh yeah the film oh, it was amazing when she was in horrible grief and pain and spoke so offhandedly about it because he was talking about the process and not at all internalizing that process in the way that she was and she always brought it back to i felt that i needed having experienced this to return to writing as catharsis, as a way to rediscover myself and put together the pieces of my womanhood or whatever. So she's writing this story, which is more or less her own, not the criminal trial. And her catharsis is punishing and destroying other people. The character, Martha character? Martha acts out and she destroys a lot of things. It's not that she can be blamed for that. Her relationship with her family is fractured. She's alienated from her mother. She ultimately defies her mother and her sister. Uh, I'm guessing that she and her cousin aren't going to hang out a whole bunch. You know, she was really damaged and hurt and lashing out in a quiet sort of way. but Quiet, rageful kind of way? Yeah, but this catharsis for the writer is really hard on everybody it makes you wonder is pieces of a woman a good movie because it's so hard like if you were if it's like too much and brian has to get up and walk out and it's really really hard on you and it just crushes you and saving private ryan takes an unflinching look at a time that people have post-traumatic stress like they have trauma over it is it a good movie and what does it impart that makes it good and worthwhile and is that universal for men and women I, I guess I'm not surprised to hear that you were moved by it, that you were stressed out and you had heart palpitations. But it is telling of how universal this experience, I think, is because I have close associations with it. I felt like this was one of the most realistic depictions of the birthing process. Like, I think I might have verbatim said some of the things that she said. Like, I think I said, this is awful. Like, this really sucks. Some of these things that are usually caricatured in, like, comedies where they're, like, screaming and they're cursing at their their partner <laughs> and stuff. Like, <laughs> Were some like, of the things you said verbatim, for example, when she goes, a very raw and vulnerable performance by Vanessa Kirby, but very realistic. That moment of intimacy and the closeness of a couple where he's like bracing her legs and like all checking it out. And like, that's their moment together. And it's super intimate in that way. Right. But yeah, when those intimacy scenes come, it's about huffing and puffing and you can do it and encouragement and like, ah, I got to get it out. But the water buffalo grunt. <laughs> I've never witnessed this firsthand, but that seems like not only raw, but pretty accurate, I guess, in some cases. I mean, Brian has video of the noises that I made, and I laughed out loud when the Ava character is like, oh, that's an interesting noise. Like, she's all curious about it and accepting of it. Because as I've been told, there were people out in the, the hallway of the hospital who were like exchanging glances when they heard me scream. It's one of the most realistic portrayals. I think it captured the intimacy. It captured the pain, the sheer suckiness of the whole experience and and the joy of it. And then the, the fragility and, and the tragedy that she, she experiences. That's the poster quote. It captures the pain and the sheer suckiness of the experience. <laughs> so when I'm watching a movie, 
I can engage emotionally and I can also process it critically. But if I have a level of removal, if I'm not a woman actively giving birth, then I can look at the experience and see how it's presented on film. And so when there's an elaborate scene, a punishing scene like the 23, 24 minute birth scene in this movie, and it's a single take, I can suss that out. Dude, that was a whole take because that's all I paid attention to in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I got so bored, I just kind of started watching the camera techniques and I was like, that was cool. There were some pretty crafty stitches in that one take birthing scene. I wasn't watching for the stitching. I'm hoping that in any childbirth process, as little stitching as as possible is, is, uh, is preferred. But they did it in one take. It may not have been seamless, but they did it six times. And apparently this is the fourth take that was used. And so even if they had to stitch it together, they filmed it more or less all at once in a single go. Wow. And usually I would notice those things. In this case, I didn't notice at all. Did you? I was so You're in it. wrapped up and in it. Yeah that I wasn't paying attention to things like camera techniques. It's pretty telling of how emotionally investing that scene is uh, that I didn't notice. There must have been something emotionally inclusive about it and not repellent because I would think that if this is really hard to take emotionally, that you would look for outs, right? I think this movie has a unique ability to swerve when it's appropriate especially if you you know you can rehearse it forever and ever and you can have it all down so you don't have to be like what's my line in the middle of a yelling scene or whatever but it would sway from her to him to the midwife all to catch those appropriate reactions as my eye maybe naturally was going like okay I know something is off here. What's the midwife feeling? And then we pan to Molly Parker's face and you're like, there it is. Oh, mm -hmm. dude, the baby's alive. It's looking good. And then her, you watch her face change. It just seemed like the camera was attuned to my brain where it was going where I wanted it to go. Just so I didn't notice it follows is a good example of the camera swinging exactly the way you don't want it to go. And it's like, no, on the follower murderer thing. <laughs> And this one just kind of pushed exactly where I wanted it to. That's interesting. I can totally see that, that it, the camera was almost projecting where you wanted to be in the scene. But I also wanted more of Shia. I felt like it disregarded him a little bit too much. Well, this movie in general, I think, did. It's strange how much he stood out in a rough neck, seems like he's quiet, slightly dumb, maybe boorish, as he put it, character, that was emotionally, maybe, more emotionally present than she was, just in the way he was dealing with the situation. He was okay to break down and cry and try to initiate the most awkward sex I've ever seen on film. <sighs> That that was somewhat <laughs> consensual or whatever, wow. right? That was bizarre, and there was definitely Shia Dong flying around. Yeah, but I don't know how much... I mean, come on. You could be methody, right, Shia? You could, like, really go for it. He didn't even have an erection. What are you going to do? Like, how, how successful was that going to be? But then again, he not he never got her 10% of the way. Those pants never even kind of came off. Wow, you so you were looking at his dong enough to know that he wasn't erect. You can't. All I'm saying is the that character I think was wronged in this way. It's it's hard to say that the male character has as much 
should have as much credit in this movie because he's not the one who had to go through the childbirth, but he is the one who had to go through the loss. And when it comes to things as a man who, when, when you don't have control, let's use childbirth or let's use pregnancy as an example. If a man gets a woman pregnant and then they fall apart, he has very little control. Courts tend to side with the mother. The mother actually nourishes the baby and the dad's like, what, what, what can I do? What can I do? So I have sympathy for a man just in his total lack of control in all these situations. And she's going through her life and he's trying to be her partner and she's completely shutting him out. And that's hard. But of course, she can't really be blamed because she's going through the hardest time in her life also. So so on that periphery, Shia gets to rage and do his thing and, and act his little heart out or whatever. But he factors into none of the promotion of this movie. I was like, oh, Shia LaBeouf's in this movie? I was surprised to see him, and because the camera kind of ignored him so much, it took me a while to validate that it was actually him, since he was also obscured under that that beard, and he looked kind of beefy, and they had him routinely dressed in oversized flannel work shirts. But to your earlier point, so in the opening scene, which, man, opening shot, killer shot. um, Yeah, that that, bridge or whatever? Oh my god, and that tracking shot on Shia that was just so active... Um, really great opening shot, but in that opening shot on Shia's Sean character, someone from his construction site, the bridge construction site, asks, how's Martha? And he's like, Martha? Martha's always great. Martha's fine. And I think that that was pretty telling of Martha's character, who, despite the tragedy, despite the wreckage of her body that she's left with, you know, wants to be fine. And in that way, maybe isn't dealing with the emotional wreckage that she needs to be dealing with, the hurt that she spreads around to the people in her life. It doesn't excuse her actions, but I wonder how much of Martha's kind of delay with dealing with some of the emotional wreckage has to do with the real physical wreckage that women have to deal with after childbirth. Like, I specifically remember that telltale waddle on the way to the bathroom at her office. Those really awful diapery things that you have to wear because nobody tells you that you're going to bleed for weeks after you give birth. Like, it's traumatic physical wreckage that's real and present that you have to deal with on a daily basis that probably delays dealing with some other things. That's the time when you need to be the most physically capable to be able to care for this tiny useless thing that depends entirely upon you for survival and nourishment. Yep. And you're like, great, I'm now on the hook and totally wrecked. <laughs> and uh, and even as a, as a dude who's never gone through this process, I could see the waddle, the lactating when she sees the little girl and her reaction to seeing all these kids around her and imagining what it was going to be and the peas on the boobs and probably, I'm guessing, hormone chaos that's enhancing or altering the grief process. I mean, she's just getting back on her feet. I don't know. I'm totally talking out my ass with regards to all this pregnancy (laughs) stuff. I mean, I don't want to talk like my experience is unique. This is like we were saying up top, a very universal experience and just all around a very unique, very realistically portrayed experience. When she's on the subway and she's looking at the kids and the kids are doing their handprints and they're being kids, 
she's eating the apple. This apple metaphor is re- definitely recurrent, right? She's eating the apple. She's contemplating the seed, which I felt represented her. Just everything that was baby to her. Everything suggested baby to her. I felt the same. But then you understand that the apple comes to mean regrowth and rebirth. Like literally, she helps the seeds to germinate, presumably plants the seeds and grows an apple tree, which her her new daughter, Luciana, can eventually climb in. So the apple metaphor was strong, but it did seem like a little bit of a tag. Like it was a very tough story. And then the filmmakers tried to band-aid it by saying, but look, she got her little girl after all. Yes, and her towering apple trees, which I've come to realize weren't that she planted the tree because there's no way those giant decades old apple trees, presumably behind her mom's house, sprung up from her seeds. She could have had Luciana when she was 40. Maybe. And those trees were, you know, 25 years old. I do know some people who have had experience, not after birth, but losing kids you know, during maybe during pregnancy and the best that I can come up with, because what what is an outsider, let alone a man, can one possibly say? But what I did come up with was my belief is that these people one day will get everything that they want and they won't be able to imagine what any other life could look like. And so when she gets her daughter and that's her life moving forward and she will always remember Yvette But maybe that current child wouldn't have existed if Yvette had lived. Her new life would supplant her old life. Would it have been scary if at the end of the movie she found out she was pregnant again and you're like, ooh, I hope that goes well. Maybe she needed to have a kid who was strong enough, old enough, and healthy enough to climb trees and pick apples at the end. It seemed like a tag, and I couldn't (laughs) tell if the filmmakers were chickening out. So you get back on the horse and you try to have another baby and then you do. And then maybe you get everything you wanted in life. If you decide that this was telling you, this is God's way of telling you that you shouldn't be a mother, then you would miss out, presumably. I believe that things happen and your ability to cope with what happens will determine what happens next. What's your opinion on home birth and did this movie change that opinion? No, it kept it pretty much in step with what I was already going with. I was like, okay, you're far away from a hospital, and yes, EMTs can come. Maybe, hey guys, heads up, we're going to do a childbirth thing here, so be on standby. If you are home, things go wrong, and when things go wrong, look, I'm not sure that in a hospital that baby might have survived. It was really heartbreaking when Martha's mom told her, if you had listened to me, you'd be holding your baby in your arms right now. Oof. I get that it's an intimate experience. Eesh. A, you're going to get your house messy. And B, if things go wrong, you don't have immediate medical attention. The midwife is only good for so much with respect to all the midwives out there. It's really hard for me to accept, but it's not my decision. Like, if I was in, ever in a birth situation and they insisted upon a home birth, I would also clock what the response time is like for EMTs, the direct route to the hospital, have a physician that I tip a thousand bucks to keep on standby or something. You know, hey, why don't you be waiting at the 7-Eleven down the street just in case? I'll make it worth your while. Something. I don't know. It's very scary. And I don't really understand it's got to be this way or I'm not doing it. I, I don't understand that. 
I mean, obviously, it's a very personal choice. And Ellen Burstyn's line was pretty rough to take. I mean, it was like Requiem for a Dream Dark, you know, but it's it's also ridiculous of her to say, right? Because there's no saying what could have or would have happened. I mean, it's just... <sighs> Look, Ellen Burstyn's character was a gangster in this movie, though. She's amazing. Ellen Burstyn is the bomb. And, and obviously, most people recognize her initially from The Exorcist. But she's the mom who obviously loves her daughter, but has very strong opinions. Will flat out tell Shia LaBeouf, yeah, I never liked you. Here's money. Go away. It's like, dude. And she had her amazing monologue. Right. She gets her moment. Yeah, it might have been a little bit on the nose. And, and I don't know that being held up like a malnourished chicken in World War II was the appropriate thing that her daughter needed to hear having lost her daughter but it speaks to her fortitude and her frustration as a mother where she like the shia character was removed didn't have a say in any of these processes right but wanted so desperately to be in control it was such a weird veiled reprimand she used that story to illustrate the fact that she regrets the mothering that she did that resulted in Martha becoming a weak person is basically what she was saying. And every moment that she was able to get control, she did. She spearheaded the civil case or the criminal case. It was a little bit hazy which one they were pursuing if one follows the other. She got rid of Shia nice and good and exercised what control she possibly could. Someone who is a step removed, but no less feeling the pain. Yeah, and everyone dealing with their grief in, in their own way, right? Except for Eliza Schlesinger, the sister's dumb, dumb husband. <laughs> Chris, the car salesman? Yep. Oh my gosh, their chit-chat about the white stripes is just was just such hilarious background banter. I, I, like, seriously. Just so inane. I honestly think the director was like, all right, guys, we got Shia on this movie. And they were like grumbles and like, and they're like, we don't know what's going to happen, but know that he's super methody and he's going to do his thing. He's promised not to overshadow Vanessa, but we're going to go and see what happens. And he's like, so what are we doing? We're doing this movie. Let's do this movie. You guys want to talk about the white stripes? What are we doing? I'm going to throw this exercise ball at her head. And they were like, okay. Oh, damn. That was rough. You know who Chris is, though, right? Hey, I think I'm going to have my penis out in this show. I'm going to have my penis out in this scene. Is that cool with you? Because, I mean, it's cool with me. <laughs> but you know who Chris is, right? Chris? Chris yeah, the, the dude who played Chris, the dumb, dumb husband. He's a safety brother. Yes, I learned that only after the fact. Had no idea. So, I mean, a filmmaker in his own right, but he plays this great slouchy car salesman who's got no backbone, you know, who Shia can completely command and control. I'm assuming that Shia wanted to turn in the minivan for drug money. Oh, right. Because he did like a bump at, at Crazy Cousin's office. Yeah, at Sarah Snook's office. Interesting turn from um, American Pickle two pieces of a woman so many people in this movie eliza schlesinger who played the sister is a a very successful comedian and a high profile personality in that sense never flexed the hey let's get a noted comedian in the role where she says nothing funny she has a good zinger in the family dinner yeah you need therapy why are you acting like an asshole right and then she's like asshole and like leaves the room or whatever <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, look, it, it was solid. I'm just saying that, like, that was a Benny Safdie. That was Eliza Schlesinger. That was Shia LaBeouf, who, whose arc didn't really matter 
He's doing drugs again. He's off the wagon. He's off to Seattle. At the end of the movie, nobody was like, what happened to Shia? I want more Shia. He just was a character that was very realistic and had his moment and then was gone. Uh, and this movie was all about Vanessa Kirby. Obviously, the Sean character has its utility in this film. But for me, no more than in the birthing scene. His joy at seeing his daughter was the most emotional for me. I channeled so much relief and joy and happiness from him, from his expression. Like he was like, look at her. And he's like taking photos. And it was like, it was through him that I think that spark between the eternal nothingnesses was captured on film, but also in his response. You know, this feels perfectly in line with what Shia LaBeouf is doing these days. And Best as the sidekick. I mean, this is obviously not focused on Sean, the man's point of view. But what the limited focus he does have, he he uses, he has, he strikes this great balance between boorishness, how's that for a Scrabble word, and vulnerability. I mean, it's a really interesting, intoxicating balance. Shy is great. It's a shame that apparently in real life he's crazy. Like this would have been the typical romantic comedy. He's kind of doofy, but lovable. Right. And they're like, nope, for this one, you're going to be really sad and you're going to cry and show your penis and then disappear. They'd be like, all right, I'm ready for it. Like, what are we doing? Are we shooting right now? Let's go. But we were searching for significance. Right. Vanessa Kirby, while she was great and restrained and sort of far away and hollow eyed when she was in her own head, it's a very strong performance in its strange aloofness. But she wasn't emoting. I mean, there were a few moments I'm handling this and she's screaming at Ellen Burstyn. But other than that, until her her emotional reckoning and coming to terms with acceptance in the grief process, she doesn't give a tremendous amount. It's really constrained and simmering under the surface. So we got the heavy hitters like Shia LaBeouf and Ellen Burstyn to give those emotional that, that those emotional release valves when we needed it. The hardest scene for me is when she shuts down and it's completely obvious to everyone in the room what she's going through in the the graves, the gravestone, the marker scene. Yeah. Where she's like, oh, well, we're not doing it. I'm donating her body. And she walks out and they're like, can you help us out, please, by engaging here? And she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Her process of, of emotional maintenance is to turn away from everybody. That's hard to deal with, but she can't be blamed for that. Well, she's a woman holding the pieces together, right? Good one. How did you deal with your grief watching this movie? I accepted it for what it was, but my frustration with her was just that she was shutting everybody else out. And then it didn't matter ultimately because we lose the Sean character and he said he was going off to the good life and the renovation and and all and his fam- family or friends or whatever. But we don't know what happened. We do know that Martha ended up with a daughter and she lived more or less happily ever after. But really, it came down to what the movie handed us, which was, I thought, inevitable. I never believed that the midwife was at fault. I was like, what are you doing? I get that you're lashing out and your mother wants to take control, but you're going to ruin this lady's life when, sorry, the home birth thing was sort of your choice. And while she wasn't the primary person who was set to deliver, I feel like she did all the things right. I feel like, so you were never going to put her in jail for eight years and, and win millions of dollars in the civil suit. 
why are you punishing this woman? It's disproportionate, the weight of responsibility that the midwife has. All the legal stuff is going on in the background throughout the entire film because the Elizabeth character needs to place blame. And some of the newspaper headlines were there to suggest that the quote-unquote medical establishment was trying to make an example of the Ava character and midwifery in general. As Martha is trying to hold her life together, however flawed she goes about doing it, it never read to me like she wasn't a woman who would speak up for herself or speak her mind. But then I thought, maybe she is. Maybe Sean wasn't right for her, but she was going with it for whatever reason. And maybe she wasn't really sticking up to her mom and she was, you know, she was definitely contemptuous of her, but she doesn't stand up to her mom until the end. And she doesn't stand, she doesn't stand by her own belief that what happened happened until she was able to accept it and therefore kind of accept what Ava's role was. So I spent most of this film in the kind of more angry phase of grief. I was feeling and channeling the Martha character's anger. And I felt like the movie ended in the courtroom where she had come to a place where she could start testing out life again. Yeah, it's a horrible thing and it's really hard to know what position you can possibly take. I don't believe this movie is a message movie. It doesn't make the commentary that you and I have been discussing on home birth or sobriety or the grieving process. I think that it was catharsis for the writer and the director and tricky waters to navigate. And yet one that is that could be really rewarding. This movie seems to validate the idea that regardless of what may have happened, you will get what you want from this life. Based on how you handle what happens to you and your willingness to push ahead, push forward and make it happen again, I guess. Is it a story of resilience? Sure. But it is the tearing of the muscle fiber that is necessary and the pain and the soreness that is necessary for it to rebond and become stronger. And it was pretty bleak. Like, this movie was all about the soreness and all about the tearing of the muscle. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, it, it becomes stronger unless you give up entirely. Pieces of a Woman, a cathartic film that's not overly sentimental, that has some of the most realistic portrayals of the birthing, tearing, and healing process. Really quite a revelation for me. Pieces of a Woman is definitely a good. This movie was to motherhood what Tom Segura is to basketball. You're going to have to unpack that one. It didn't go well. <laughs> and not sure about the future prospects of this team playing basketball again anytime soon. I don't know. That's not Definitely all right movie for me. A little bit too dark to be the family favorite at Christmas time. Yeah, I yeah, one of those kind of uh, contradictory movies that I feel is really powerful, and yet I probably wouldn't recommend it to anybody because I don't <laughs> want them to go through that pain. Well, the Academy is recommending it, at least for Vanessa Kirby. Nice to see her in a breakout role who seemed perfectly at place among these people, among these heavy hitters, strong supporting cast, and a strong role. I hope she, well, no, I don't hope she wins over Viola Davis, but we'll see what happens. And that's our review on Pieces of a Woman. I know. Why don't you call us with your birthing stories? No, that could probably really go badly, huh? Yes. 818-835-0473. would love to know what you think or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives' activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.